This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to this podcast by The Straits Times. I'm Shafali Reiki, Asian News Network editor and your host for today's show. I'm here at Davos 2023 with my special guest, Professor Brian Smith, Australian National University's Vice Chancellor and Nobel Prize winner. Hello, Professor Brian. Welcome to the show. Uh, hello, it's great to be here and welcome to your listeners. What brings you to Davos this year and has it met your expectations? So uh, this is my ninth time to, to Davos and I come here each year to ensure that I sort of get a pulse of what the government of the world, of what businesses of the world are thinking about and be able to provide an Australian perspective into that. It is a global world and it is very easy in Australia to be forgotten as in Singapore. So we're pretty good at talking to each other, Singapore and Australia, but the rest of the world can easily forget about us. And in terms of how it's been, it's been good and interesting. I have, I have seen where people are thinking. Quantum seems to be all the rage in, in a way that uh, may be surprising because we've been doing it in Singapore and Australia for 20 years. Global Issues are very for you know uh, forefront. Um, we certainly hear about the Ukraine war continually. What did you make of the discussions on climate change? Uh, did you get a sense that we made some kind of substantial progress from the last COP twenty seven meeting that we had? No, actually, I think the sense I got of climate is one of frustration. In the remarks yesterday, we had sort of how are we tracking? and not good. I think it's uh, too slow in almost everything uh, is what we heard. And we heard a bunch of speakers who were very angry, uh, including Al Gore. Al Gore, you know, was shouting and made it very clear that he was unhappy with the status quo to the point of being disgusted with the status quo. So those are the strongest words I have ever heard here by mainstream people. And what actually should be happening from a conversation or a discussion point of view? We really have to be ultra pragmatic on the transition. And the transition conversation that I hear around the world is both too slow and too fast and does not have pragmatism to it. So I do think we need some sort of instruments of either regulation or financial instruments that essentially drive us on a net zero by 2050, rather than having people's hollow commitments be sufficient. And I think that uh, lack of what I would describe as accountability against progress across the whole of the world uh, and the whole of society is really holding us back. So that's the conversation we need. Yeah, I caught some of that during another session on climate change litigation as well, which uh, the Straits Times editor anchored. And I realized there are some 2,000 cases. And one of the key points that came out was that, you know, there isn't enough ac accountability. You know, you can't take governments to task, really, for not keeping up with their commitments. But turning to the role of scientists, are scientists getting their due? They have such a vital role to play. So science is certainly going to provide uh, most of the intellectual starting points for the conversations that need to have. What's happening? What are the technological responses? What are the sociological responses? And we think of this being very technology-driven. What I have seen today is the human side has been the part letting us down. We actually have a lot of technology. Mm -hmm. We just haven't had the will to use it. And 
the challenge is that it's not a free lunch. It is has some cost to it. The costs are not outrageous. You know, as a consumer, if you told me what the costs where I could, you know, over my my lifetime, I'm going to have to put on sign me up. You know, but our systems, our economies are so much around optimization around absolutely the pinnacle. And the challenge is because of the lack of accountability within the financial systems, uh, we're not getting there. So I think science has a voice at the table and we need to keep on pushing out the solutions. But I do feel it's around the governance and that human side of making sure that when we come up with solutions, they don't strand huge numbers of people without some solution for them. And that's what's holding us back politically because politics hates losers. Probably everyone uh, is going to go backwards a little bit to do it, but it needs to those distributional bits so the winners and losers are quite not nuanced. I mean, they're, they're very nuanced in that no one really sees themselves as being the loser. I think that's going to be really important. Mm -hmm. Should there be um, another kind of partnership just of scientists in every country to drive this forward? I think we already have partnerships with scientists. Now, it's, you know, it's not universal. It's 97%. So we already do that. Uh, science and academia are accused around the world of being in our ivory tower. And I will be honest, we're, you know, society is very good at not listening to us when we actually silo ourselves. So actually, we need to embed ourselves throughout society, in government, in boards, in NGOs, as partners and as people that are trusted and constructive, where they see us as being something that adds value for the missions of these things. So I think we actually want to not be the silo. I think we need to distribute ourselves. You mentioned academia. So what role do universities have to play? And tied to that, what are you doing at Australian National University for this? So we cut across our missions of university are pretty universal. We teach uh, the next generation. So we need to skill them up, make sure they understand uh, what the problems are and what the solutions set are. So we have to make sure they have those skills uh, that are easily usable. Well, I think we're pretty good at that. Uh, we do the foundational research, whether it be within the economy, within the technologies, within the adoption, and that needs to be continued to be funded. Uh, and it really needs to be quite strategic and probably needs a fair bit more work on some of the, uh, what I would say, the adaptation and, and technologies that we know are coming that need to be done. But that ultimately needs to be funded by government. And then the translation. So it's one thing to come up with the basic research, but we really need to create uh, a whole group of people who work between the new knowledge and making it happen on the ground. And that's where I think we need to be embedded in society, whether it be in government, NGOs, or business. So in our case, we have a very large center, which is around uh, climate change and energy uh, that's led by one of the authors of the, um, the IPCC reports, uh, Mark Howden. And that is a truly multidisciplinary center. It kind of sits in the middle of the university and brings input from all over the university. So that helps us get through some of those system issues. But then within our colleges, we have worked 
being done in literally every part of the colleges. So the technology part is people where probably where people think the most. So we have people working on, you know, how do we get the hydrogen economy working in Australia where it's probably going to be the cheapest place in the world to create, you know, green hydrogen. So we're working on everything from the electrolyzers to the systems to get the hydrogen out. We work on increasing solar voltaic uh, efficiency, um, to have some of the records in, you know, using perovskites uh, for, for that purpose. I think we have a lot of work that goes across the economy and engineering around how you integrate storage and batteries into the ecosystem because everything's going to get electrified and we need to really think about how to do that efficiently. Batteries are really expensive. So you want to minimize their use uh, and try to figure out ways of early adoption. The economics of finance of these things, really important. The regulation of it, we work on that. So it is multifaceted. There's almost nothing we aren't working on. Of course. And as a university, are you also working towards becoming net zero? Yeah. So we have uh, very ambitiously in uh, 2020 announced that we would strive to go at net zero by 2025. So uh, we have the advantage that the Australian capital territory, Canberra, where we're located, essentially greened its electricity. And so that was uh, 85% of, of what we did done right away. We are in the process of taking our natural gas uh, use on campus and electrifying that. That's almost entirely heating and cool cooling. So that were mainly heating. And so we're in the process of that. We are looking at how in our what we would call scope three emissions. We have targeted travel, especially business travel. And in Australia, you know, everything's a long ways away. So how can we start lowering that using, of course, one of the good things of COVID, and there's not a lot, is people's adoption of, you know, remote technology to, to work remotely, to cooperate remotely, I think has this ability to knock that down. And then we work very, very hard on offsets. What are offsets? What are good offsets? What are real offsets? And what are the ways we can scale those things up so that we can start taking CO2 out of the atmosphere en masse? Great. Finally, what would be your advice to the youth who are looking to build their own careers? Would you recommend they all become environmental scientists? There seems so much potential. So there's a whole range of things to be uh, in the future. I think uh, you always need to do something that's interesting to you because the key in the next 50 years is having a skill set that is going to be able to be updated with the times. And so, you know, Singapore has a, a big focus on lifelong learning. And that's one thing, but there's, you got to be able to do those skills onto your existing um, education background. And, you know, you're not suddenly going to become a nuclear engineer unless you have a lot of physics and math. So I encourage people to get a really deep skill set around both, I would describe as the, the English, uh, and it probably is going to be English, communications, understanding language and how to, to deal with humans. And then on the numerical side, really understanding math and then specifically taking those two skill sets into whatever they're interested, whether it be, you know, working with EOS on environment, which is an amazing program in Singapore. If you're into engineering and like, you know, that great. 
but maybe you're into public health and, you know, you need those two skills, those numerical skills and those uh, human skills to do all of these problems. So you got to go deep and really kind of wire your brain to solve hard problems, but be open to trying new things. And so I encourage people to get that deep stuff on something they love and then learn something new that's hard every year. Thanks, Professor, for being on our show and for sharing your insights. My pleasure. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.